Welcome to the 47th episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is Technology's Role in Building a Firm for Maximum Value, a conversation with Eric Poirier, CEO of Adapar. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other podcast resources. If you're new to the series, I encourage you to visit diamond-consultants.com slash independence101 for the top five episodes that will help you get up to speed on the basics of the independence space, plus links to other episodes you may have missed. And if you're listening to the series on the Apple Podcast app, be sure to leave a star rating and review. It serves as a guide to us, as well as your colleagues in the wealth management industry who may be searching for valuable content to tune into. Eric Poirier, CEO of Adapar, one of the industry's leading customized reporting platform providers, joined me on episode 45 to discuss how modern technology in the independent space gives advisors a massive advantage, particularly in the ability to best serve their clients, and that translates to a better experience and greater profitability. We also explored the common misconception that only in the brokerage space can advisors access the best in tech. Eric shared how that's not the case at all, and that actually the ability to customize technology solutions is one of the major draws to independence. Today, we're taking the conversation further. We'll explore the role technology plays in the different stages of a business and what advisors need to consider as their firms and clients evolve. So let's jump right in. Eric, thank you for making yourself available again for what's a very robust and wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. My pleasure. So one of the things in our last episode we didn't get to talk about was your background. And you've come at, Adapar was born out of a need to solve for something, as most great companies are. And it's my experience that most of those needs are filled by either a client who had a bad experience and didn't get what they needed from their financial advisor or a financial advisor, him or herself, who felt that there was something they wanted to deliver to a client that they couldn't. Your background was different. You came at building out a par and solving for this great need in a very different way. So I'm hoping you can share with us a little bit about your background and how it connects the dots to how Adapar was born. Yeah, absolutely. Let me very briefly start at the beginning. So I had somewhat of a weird upbringing. Both my parents went to college after I was born and after my sister was born. So my sister and I grew up on campus at UMass Amherst. And, you know, we were the three, four, five-year-old kids riding our bikes around campus and, and really just kind of growing up in that setting, you know, opened my eyes at a really young age, you know, just an active learning environment. In addition to that, you know, my parents are inherently entrepreneurial. So my dad was building houses as a full-time business while he was a full-time student. And I'd spend my weekends on construction site with him and just seeing what that looked like. You know, after he and my mom graduated, my dad started getting more into technology so he and I started a company together back when I was in high school, when the internet was pretty young, back in 1998 or so. 
we were working with young internet sites where the infrastructure wasn't strong enough yet. So you'd have sites like eBay put on a promotion and lots of people would hit the website and it would crash because they really didn't anticipate the load. So we're building uh, technology simulation tools to help internet companies build stronger businesses. I ended up moving to New York in 2000 to study computer science at Columbia. And by moving to New York, it also gave me, of course, exposure to financial services in ways that, uh, that I hadn't seen before. But what's interesting is, you know, on reflection, throughout my entire upbringing in New England, my folks, they worked super, super hard to obviously, you know, go from, you know, having two young kids and going to undergrad to getting their master's degrees to then building their own business. And, you know, looking across my group of friends and the community I grew up in, there were very few people who ended up making enough money to even justify having an advisor in the first place. And many of the experiences that those people had with advisors ended up being pretty bad ones. They were getting, frankly, like pretty poor advice and taking their hard-earned money and losing a lot of it. And so I think in a, in a very deep way that made an impression on me that you know, financial services, while it touches lots and lots of people, either directly or indirectly, there are a lot of opportunities to fundamentally improve financial services. And so been at, uh, studying at Columbia for uh, a number of years, I got an internship at Lehman Brothers back in the summer of 2003. And I worked within fixed income analytics at Lehman. And the first day of the internship, I actually convinced them to keep me on full-time during my senior year. So it wasn't great for my grades, but I still ended up graduating. So it was good. But really, it gave me a, a front row seat in how a large bank like Lehman, who is more tech forward and operating in some of the more complex asset types like mortgage-backed securities and credit default swaps, et cetera, what some of the realities were within a firm like that um, with respect to technology. And at the time, I think Lehman was spending between 4 and $5 billion a year on technology. And, but what they had to show for it was a bunch of pretty old systems where they had a workforce that was primarily just maintaining old systems versus building net new technology to level up the client experience. So for me, that, that was kind of an epiphany, somewhat of an aha moment, saying, well, this industry needs something much more modern, needs something much better. And the likelihood of building that within a large financial firm is basically next to, you're not going to build it that way. And you know, I had one of the senior people at Lehman explain to me that technology on Wall Street is a negative convexity business. And it basically means that the tech staff, they're not the ones really you know, setting the agenda. They're the ones sort of taking orders, if you will, within a large firm and being somewhat, probably being over-indexed on short-term outcomes versus taking the time and putting in the right effort to build a long-term sustainable platform. And so I had gotten to know, you know, I've been really privileged with having some exceptional mentors in my life and in my career. And I got to know Peter Thiel pretty well when I was an undergrad at Columbia. And Peter really opened my eyes in a lot of different ways to Silicon Valley. And ultimately, I decided to leave Lehman Brothers in the middle of 2006 while things were still you know, growing like crazy there at the joint balance here and you know spent the next few years building much more ambitious technology primarily for hedge funds and proprietary trading desks and that's really when we were bringing pounds here to market at places like Bridgewater and Citigroup and Thomson Reuters etc I learned how to not just build enterprise scale technology but how to deliver it in predictable repeatable ways for very large very demanding clients in ways that would actually stick but of course, the financial crisis, as you know, as it hit and in, in accelerated in 2008, it opened everyone's eyes to the fact that you have to actually go deep into what's actually in the portfolio. Like, what is in the portfolio that introduces so many different risks? 
And how can we give people uh, the ability to look within any portfolio of arbitrary complexity and really understand succinctly like what to do about it in a timely way? And so like this whole evolution, I guess, you know, with growing up on a campus, like recognizing entrepreneurship, understanding technology as a way to help entrepreneurs build stronger businesses, getting exposure to how to do that within financial services, um, seeing within a large financial services firm why they can't build their own tech, why it's better to build tech on the outside, but then bring it in. So philosophically, like why being open to partnerships with large scale firms is generally a good thing. But then most importantly, what is the like ultimate outcome that the business is, is, is trying to achieve in the first place? So in the whole world of financial advice, who's the client? What are the client's goals and objectives? What are their preferences? And how can you use technology and data strategically to achieve those goals? Like that's basically what it comes down to. And that's, I think, how you know, my, um, both personally and professionally, how all my experiences have really drawn me to this industry and really, I think, given us as a firm the level of ambition uh, to just aim much higher than what's been you know, sort of possible to date. Thank you for sharing that. It's amazing what you've built, especially in a relatively short period of time, and certainly excited to see what's yet to come. So give us a reminder, just sort of a one-line answer to what Adipar is and what it does. Yeah, so Adipar is fundamentally we're a software company that's delivering data aggregation, calculation software, uh, performance reporting, client portals, and client mobile apps to solve for consolidated performance reporting, especially on the high end of wealth management. And so we serve RIAs, family offices, we serve private wealth management teams at banks, we serve private banks, and across all of our clients, each one of our clients uses the exact same version of the product and the platform. And so we've had to build the software in really highly configurable ways so our clients can really make it their own. Got it. Thank you for that. And so how has Adipar changed over time in the last decade or so in terms of the services it offers and how it's sort of morphed over time? Great question. One thing worth noting is, so Joe Lonsdale uh, co-founded Adipar in 2009. I joined Adipar in the beginning of 2013. So the first few years of the company, Joe was kind of guiding the direction. And by the time I joined, we had you know, a handful of clients who had adopted us because they recognized the vision that we had and they recognized the vision that they had and they recognized how well aligned um, those were. But it was really early in the game from a, like actually building this ambitious technology and landing it within each one of these firms. And so the way I'd describe 2013 and 2014 were working with these early adopters uh, to truly finish the, the product and the platform so it could power their businesses in 2015, 2016, we, in a lot of different ways, just started winning new business by just evangelizing the products. We didn't really have a sales force per se. We had, we had a handful of, of folks out just enthusiastically you know, showing off what we had built. And you know, we're really proud from an R&D standpoint what we had built. But it wasn't until this past year that we'd really made the shift from, frankly, having long legs and short arms as a company and being very strong on the R&D side and being almost non-existent on the go-to-market and services side to really becoming a lot more kind of well-rounded and a lot more balanced as a business. And we did that over the course of this past year because we recognized clearly that what we're already offering in the high end of wealth management is winning and it's winning increasingly handily over time. And so the market opportunity we have right in front of us is absolutely extraordinary. And now is the time to go from 
kind of reacting to inbound interest from clients to being much more proactive and saying, how do we make sure that Adapar is on the map for any type of RIA who stands to benefit from what we've built? It's such an obvious statement, um, but it's a, a muscle that we as a company really haven't had until very recently. And so how does that notion that you're really putting pedal to the metal in terms of proactively going out and marketing your services, how does that dovetail with this tremendous momentum or growth in the breakaway movement? Great question. I think two or three years ago, it would have been a fair statement to make that Adapar wasn't really on the radar of a lot of different breakaways. We ended up two or three years ago forming some partnerships with uh, Dynasty as one example of a really notable partner of ours in a roll-up. And using relationships like that, in addition to relationships with custody banks, to make Adapar relevant or part of the conversation that breakaways were having with custody banks and other, other sorts of partners, that's really, we've learned a lot from that. And so given a lot of the learnings we've had there, today we're able to kind of more actively involve ourselves in the conversation at the front end of the relationship with breakaways, where they're considering us, in many cases especially for the larger breakaways, considering us the default option, which is a privilege and one that I think we've fought, you know, fought and earned our way into kind of becoming that standard. And what is it about Adapar that you think wins the day with some of these larger breakaways? From the perspective of teams breaking away, they're breaking away for, of course, for, for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons is they have conviction that they can build their own business and they can serve clients' needs in a more compelling way, in a more lasting way than they could if they were to stay, you know, where they've been. And one of the really important aspects that Adapar helps bring to life is showing new clients what their new firm is capable of delivering on. And showing, not telling, is so fundamental. And so what we've heard, the, the feedback we've heard from the breakaways we work with, we're, you know, we, we have dozens of breakaways at this point, is that having the, the new firm that has relationships with a bunch of existing clients, of course, show the story about how that new firm is going to operate, what's unique, what's different, what's compelling, on day one of the new firm, that makes a huge difference. But then the proof points that, you know, month one, year one, year three, year five, we can go through those in detail as well. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the role that technology plays in how an advisor runs his or her business. So the business is up and running. I guess more specifically, how does Adapar help businesses to increase efficiency, performance, and overall effectiveness? Of course, advisors have some differences with respect to the, their practice and the, uh, the variety of services they want to offer to clients. But some of the things that are shared really across all the firms we serve is that they're serving types of end clients who require a degree of tailored service. So the firms need to deliver that tailored service in ways that are uncompromised, but are also efficient to scale. And so that's why technology is such an important piece because absent technology the only way to scale that is having more and more people do more work by hand and more work manually. And if you're doing work by hand and doing it manually, the time to deliver that to clients is always much longer. And the results oftentimes are wrong because you have people doing manual stuff with pretty complex information. So I guess the couple common threads we see across the breakaways we serve specifically is that they tend to think first and foremost with the client experience in mind. And they say, okay, for that client experience, there, of course, you want to do your monthly or quarterly or semi-annual meetings with clients, and you want those meetings to be really high quality, um, where each and every client gets the full picture of their portfolio. You're able to have a thoughtful, productive conversation with that client about 
you know, here are the goals that you stated, here are the objectives we have, here's how we're performing against those goals and objectives, but also incorporating that client's preferences where clients receive information in different ways. Some clients are really kind of quantitative or numerate and they want to see big tables of data and kind of crawl through the details. Uh, Other clients want to look at their portfolio top down and have some pie charts and some bar charts and things like that. Some clients want a digital experience. Some clients want a printed out report. Some clients want to be able to self-serve. There's just such a wide variety of client preferences. And to be able to accommodate all of those preferences like really requires a, a thoughtful and highly strategic technology solution woven into the fabric of that entire business's operating model. So that's the broadest statement that I think we can make that, that spans the hundreds of firms that we serve. And again, we can kind of zero in on the specific preferences on a firm-by-firm basis and can figure out a part to showcase how that firm thinks of their brand, thinks of their identity, thinks of their practice management style, and really allows them to just nail that in a highly configurable but very scalable way. So customizable seems to be the key. Yes, absolutely. But making it so it's not a... a you don't have to either choose flexibility or scale. You can actually thread the needle on both. So let's presume that a breakaway sets up his business and he has chosen not to or couldn't rationalize the cost of bringing in a technology provider like Adapar out of the gate. But now he's a year or two in, and he is beginning to see what you see, that there are inefficiencies, there are deliverables that he'd like to offer his clients, et cetera, and beginning to think about it. What would you say are the top questions that that breakaway should ask when evaluating, not necessarily Adapar specifically, but the notion of really making a sizable investment in technology? And before you answer, we talked in the last episode about how a technology partner needs to have staying power to be able to grow with your firm over time. So other than that, what are some of the questions that current business owners should ask? Right. In addition to staying power, I mean, of course, if you choose a provider that is not a going concern, like that's, it's not going to serve you well. But assuming that each provider has the staying power, I understand, like asking the question, does this provider understand my business and understand what I'm trying to accomplish and what the specific realities I have as a business today? And they, can they provide a clear, compelling picture of how I can go from the state I'm in today to the target state? Because that, I think it demonstrates a level of partnership playing through that conversation in a very intentional way, in a specific way, before engaging with any sort of partner, whether it's a technology partner, a services partner, an investment partner, any sort of partnership as you're forming a business and as you're maturing the business. Those are the, I think, best practice questions that you need to be able to answer. And so in addition to that, especially on the topic of technology, is you know, there's no one system that's going to accommodate the variety of needs, um, especially for a sufficiently large firm. And so how do the various pieces of technology interoperate? How do they play together? And what are the proof points around that? Like it's, it's all well and good that this tech provider might say, hey, we work well with this other tech provider too, but doing the diligence and really validating that and speaking to other clients who've been through that and kind of gone through that motion. So the couple things that we've seen the firms that we serve adopt as best practices is be as clear as you can be as a business owner and business operator standpoint about ultimately what are the most important business outcomes we're shooting for? What part do we see technology playing within that? 
and within that technology kind of umbrella, who are the providers, what parts do each one of them play, and how do they need to weave together to achieve that business outcome? So some other big names we hear all the time, Orion, Black Diamond, Tamarack, and they're big names in the performance reporting space. How does Adapar compare to them in terms of capabilities and cost? The way we think about Adapar, we've really, again, positioned ourselves first and foremost on the high end of the wealth management space where each advisor needs to be able to deliver something much more tailored to each client. And each client's portfolio spans a broader spectrum of assets beyond vanilla portfolios is the way that I describe it. So of all the assets, you know, we have $1.3 plus trillion of assets on our platform. About 35% of those assets are in alternative investments and private investments. So private equity, hedge funds, venture, private stocks, convertible notes, warrants, all sorts of other, all sorts of other stuff. And Adapar absolutely excels with modeling data across the full spectrum of assets that can be owned. And we excel in terms of modeling out how the client owns those various assets through legal entities. And in addition to that, we've provided a tremendous amount of flexibility and customization in tuning and tailoring the strategy with respect to advising that client on their portfolio. So using attributes uh, to further describe individual positions or the goals and the risk factors that the clients have in their portfolios and being able to, in a really clean, very clear way, have the advisor communicate that each and every client. What we found is that some of the limitations of providers who've been in this space for a long time They've been building technology to solve problems that were really pervasive 10, 15, 20 years ago when alternatives weren't as popular. Flexibility, customization, self-service aspects, modern you know, digital experiences, th- those just weren't really topics at that point in time. And so one of the biggest advantages we've had is you know, the fact that we started Adapar in 2009 in the wake of the financial crisis with eyes wide open into all the variety of problems that this industry hadn't solved well in 2007 and 2008. Yeah. So from experience, it seems, and we've talked actually, that the goals of a well-established, successful RIA, so up and running, successful infrastructure, are to continue to enhance efficiency, to operate efficiently, and probably equally, or if not more important, is enhance the client experience. So I think for a lot of folks, it feels somewhat amorphous. Like it's easy to say, oh, you can better customize that client experience or you can run a more efficient business, a more profitable business as an RIA. But it would be really helpful if you could give a specific example or two of an RIA firm or RIA firms that are on your platform and have been on it for the past, let's say, five years and how they, by using technology, have improved efficiency and that overall client experience. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to walk through examples and also happy to go through some patterns that we see across some of the more well-established, more mature RIAs that we serve. So one example of a firm that, that we've been working with for years is Tiedemann Advisors here in New York. And they've, of course, been around as a firm for quite some time, and they have really a sterling reputation with their clients but they had recognized that they needed to level up from a technology standpoint in order to deliver the compelling client experience that they knew was possible, but in order to also operationalize that internally in a much more scalable way. And so they adopted Adapar as a strategic sort of investment that they were making as a firm years ago. And we've worked, you know, initially getting them off of their legacy technology investments and onto Adapar and making sure that their entire workforce was steeped in how to use it and the best practices 
in addition to that, we've helped them expand their business by attracting other advisory practices to come join their firm. And so, you know, both in delivering the compelling client experience, but also operationalizing that internally, you basically have to do the before and after. Like the in the before picture, how is the workforce doing their specific work absent a more tech-enabled approach? And what parts of that process were cumbersome? What parts of that process were manual? What parts of that process were error-prone? And then once you introduce the right technology to do those same types of tasks, you're able to automate uh, a variety of those tasks. And so instead of doing the same mundane operation client by client or account by account, you can press a button and it happens automatically. That same thing can be said for a variety of different roles and responsibilities within a firm that are more traditionally thought of as back office and middle office roles, as well as more the advisor sitting with the client or the team going through each individual's client's portfolios and finding opportunities to enhance that client's portfolio, um, recommending different changes to the portfolio. And so Adapar has really gone to great lengths to be relevant, especially within firms that have multiple roles and responsibilities where Adapar wants to be relevant across the variety of functions within that firm. So everyone is using the same platform. Everyone has a single source of truth and you have a common system of record that's really bringing together all of the data. So everyone's working in the same place. So that's one of the key ways just to drive a lot of operational efficiency and also align that very directly to adhering to the best practices of that firm, um, really delivering the brand and the promise of that firm to each client in every single experience. And how about the how it impacted Tiedemann's client, the deliverable on the client side? Because I will tell you, I'm so glad you brought that Tiedemann up as an example. First of all, for anyone not familiar, Tiedemann is a $20 billion firm based in New York. It's a second-generation firm that is wildly successful and an example of a well-run, fabulous firm. But one of the things that Michael Tiedemann, the principal, talked about in the video was that there were three goals when I guess they interviewed Adapar or began to search for a technology partner. And the first goal was to be able to offer a fiduciary conflict-free open architecture environment. They had checked that box. Two was to offer a service model that felt like a family office. They had checked that box. But the third was to offer customized reporting for very sophisticated clients. And I guess that's what they were looking to solve for. And so how does, or how did, in Tiedemann's case, just using that as an example, how did the ability, that goal get solved? And what was the direct impact in terms of the growth of the firm and the feedback you've been getting from them? Yeah, absolutely. Tiedemann, like many of the advisors we're serving, uh, we want them to be able to have discretion in terms of the, you know, the reports and the outputs they want to deliver to clients. Uh, they should be able to choose uh, what good looks like and what flavors of reports they want available and all the various ways that they want to make impressions on their clients. And so uh, we work with them in a very consultative way, sharing some best practices, sharing some report libraries, sharing some templates, and iterating with them to say, well, what do you want to be your gold standard? Do you want there to be variation across the way you serve your clients? Do you want to serve all of your clients in a way that's more consistent for certain exhibits but not others? And so just working in a pretty detailed way to really understand the client experience they're looking to achieve. And, you know, and what we find in, in many cases, especially where you have more complex end clients, is they do actually want different types of outputs than, than each other, right? So some clients want really elaborate, long reports broken up by legal entity or broken up by asset type or strategy or geography or, you know, just a variety of other things. And we can accommodate that very easily. 
other clients want just sort of a top-down look at the portfolio in three pages or less, and that's all they care about because they just want to have that more conceptual grasp of the portfolio and kind of runs the gamut. And so we need to be in a position where, you know, for clients like Tiedemann as, and as well as other firms who, you know, are serving multi-generational families, they're serving a kind of broader demographic base, um, people with dramatically different preferences um, from one another. Um, we need to be able to arm them with the technologies to deliver on all of those uh, client needs with one common platform. So, okay, Tiedemann's a $20 billion firm, but what of a client firm that's been using you for the last three, five years that manages a billion or two or three billion under management that has very different goals and perhaps very different client needs? One example, so so Pagnato Carp's an example. Uh, you know, Paul Pagnato, I think, has done a remarkable job with uh, you know building out that business, and he's really been a amazing partner just working with him and his firm. So that's a different example, you know, obviously a different kind of motion as a, as a firm. And, and I think with them also, we've been able to really recognize what their objectives are, what types of clients they're serving, what they're aspiring to deliver, and how do we enable them to deliver that as they're scaling their business and achieving that level of scale? How do they do that without having to hire a whole bunch of additional people because they can flex the technology and they can flex their operating model in the right ways to really satisfy that business objective? And how many years into Pagnato Carp's stance as an RIA? So did they use Adapar or sign on with Adapar? Off the top of my head, I'd think about three years, but I need to go and verify that. Oh, got it. Just as an example. Yeah. Okay. So with M&A on the minds of business owners, like one of the reasons people want to go independent is the ability to grow inorganically. So how does an RIA firm create the look and feel of, of a substantially larger firm without having to actually be larger? Great question. Perception's reality, right? <laughs> you know, I think having high quality outputs for clients, having the polish factor and being able to substantiate, you know, in each interaction with a client, are you getting a really high quality, a really professional looking output and experience? Are you having the right conversation where the person you're talking to really understands you and understands your needs. The feedback we've heard pretty consistently from the advisors we serve as well as from their end clients is that oftentimes matters more than, you know, appearing to be bigger than you are. Or in certain cases, you know, we have large practices that want to appear smaller than they are because you have clients who want to feel that they're individuals. They want to feel that you're providing something tailored to them. And so I guess I wouldn't conclude that it's always better to sort of look bigger than you are. Of course, if you're running a new firm, you want to give clients comfort that you have staying power. And I think the most compelling way to do that is in a very authentic way, sitting with clients, explaining to them your philosophy as a firm, the promise you want to be able to deliver on, give them proof points and evidence that you can do that, in fact, and that you've been successful with other clients who look like them. So can technology make a firm look like a more attractive buyer or seller for that matter? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Because this industry has just been decades behind where it could be from a technology standpoint for a very, very long time. And so technology is this really natural kind of leapfrog where not only can you appear to be more sophisticated, scalable, you in fact are more sophisticated and scalable. You can do a lot more with the people you have. You can do a lot more with the capital you have. You can be a lot more resourceful. It's not just a kind of a veneer. It's a much more substantive uh, difference. I know data security is top of mind for most RIA firms or all RIA firms. How does Adapar address that issue? We've invested 
massively in security since the very beginning. And now security, of course, is a multifaceted topic. It's one where since the very beginning, we've made the choice to, for example, build direct feeds to custody banks so that as we're drawing data about the client's portfolio on a day-by-day basis, we wanted to have complete control over that process. So the banks are posting that data to Adapar on a nightly basis. Adapar fully controls the pipes that that data flows across. That data is fully encrypted as it's in transit, and it's fully encrypted within Adapar's end-to-end platform. And so that's one aspect of security. There are many other aspects in terms of you know being a modern cloud-based enterprise SaaS solution. We're able to take a lot of the advances in security that have been made over the course of the last one, two, three, four, five years with new enhancements really being being introduced literally every month. And we're able to keep up with those advances and really being on the bleeding edge. In addition to how we secure the platform, the infrastructure, the products, we also have a variety of best practices internally where our employees, each and every one of them, go through mandatory security trainings on a recurring basis and working through details around client confidentiality in terms of segregation of duties and access from a data standpoint. And so really, we look far beyond the world of wealth management to find the best practices with respect to security. And we're bringing those best practices to the clients we serve in a very, very deep way and in ways where, you know, frankly, one of the natural benefits of adopting modern technology within wealth management is you, again, get to leapfrog like the kind of old-fashioned ways of having usernames and passwords on sticky notes or in Excel sheets or emailing client confidential Excel, like data in Excel around. It's unbelievably insecure the way that it happens by default before you embrace technology in a, in a strategic way. Have been any plans to technology to address client prospecting? Yes, we're helping our clients in a lot of different ways win new business. And in terms of enhancing our future functionality uh, to become a lot more relevant in that part of the motion with prospects, we do have a number of different features that we're launching this year, you know, in terms of generating proposals and in terms of deepening our integration with other financial planning tools. So being an open platform, basically our thought is if there are good pieces of technology that are complementary to what Adapar already offers. We just want to make it really easy for advisors to pick Adapar and those other pieces, make them work seamlessly together. In kind of broadening where Adapar fits with respect to the advisor's overall workflow, there are certain bets we'll make on our own to make it easier for advisors to kind of get the whole motion with each client, reassessing goals, objectives, preferences, reassessing financial plans, you know, when having conversations about performance, also tying that back to well, what was the plan and the goals and objectives in the first place. And then, you know, carrying that through to prospects of the firm who aren't clients yet, so they can really get a sense for how the firm operates. So we just see that to be, you know, as part of the natural evolution from a product strategy standpoint. Got it. So the integration, I think, is a big question. And the notion of single sign-on of sort of one experience for a client and the advisor. Can you talk about that, how that works in the independent space? Absolutely. So you want to make it easy for the advisor and their clients to be able to have a place they go to to get whatever they need and to go through whatever workflows or use cases they have. So if in practice they're actually working through a variety of different systems, you want to make it so they can log in once. And by logging in once, then the underlying technologies are just sharing a credential or you're basically authenticating people without having to have them log in again. So yeah, we use single sign-on. Many of our clients use single sign-on in, in practice. And so if you want to go between Adapar 
and other types of systems. You don't have to re-log in again. That's part of the integration equation, but also passing data between systems in a way that's automated is another part of it. So single sign-on isn't a silver bullet. It's an important piece of the equation, um, but it's a broader equation. This a recent breakaway asked me this question when I said that I was going to be talking with you. I'm two years out of a wirehouse and thinking about what comes next for my business. It's incredibly exciting, but what is your point of view on how I should think about prioritizing all the things I can do? I feel like a kid in a candy store. So things like think about upgrading technology, invest in infrastructure, merge or acquire, recruit advisors, hire new talent. I'd always start with talent. In terms of growing a practice, if you're building something that's intended to build to last and you don't yet have the right talent to deliver on that, you need the talent. And if you have the right talent and you've hit some constraints, then how do you overcome those constraints? If you've exhausted your ability to grow organically, then how do you grow inorganically? How do you go acquire new teams? Um, how do you more like prospect in new and different ways versus how you've done them in the past? And so I'd love to sit with this advisor, totally understand the kid in the candy store because the opportunity set is so vast the specific actions that each advisor can take to uh, to fully capitalize on that might vary depending on where they are actually today in the maturity of their own practice and their own business. But I think asking the one question of, is my business sufficiently tech-enabled today to scale? And if not, like that's really what should compel them um, to think more strategically about tech. Are you able to deliver a client experience in a scalable way, in a really high-quality way, in predictable, repeatable ways? And if so... And it means you can spend more and more time with existing clients and more and more time out winning new business. And if not, it means you're probably spending the majority of your time on fairly cumbersome, fairly low ROI activities, just trying to keep pace with the current client base. But that same principle, so can either choose to make a massive investment in technology or they can go out and do some form of M&A, either acquire a firm that has better, more modern technology than they do, or more than likely be acquired, put themselves up for sale and merge with or be acquired by a firm that's generations ahead of them. Yeah, I guess in keying on the question of this advisor's two years out of a wirehouse, I guess I'd assume that this advisor broke away in the first place to have a business that's really built uh, to last for years into the future. But that said, there are, are great partners out there that can help independent advisors who feel like they legitimately need much more support, much more help in upgrading from a tech and from an operational standpoint. Like that part of the industry has really grown up in a massive way, in a really strategic way. But for advisors who do choose to remain truly independent, to not be you know, part of, uh, of that type of network, I think the level of partnership and the level of more hand-in-glove service that they can get from tech providers like Adapar to kind of coach them through how to modernize, how to upgrade, that's a very real part of the business we run. And that's a very, like on a weekly basis, we're going through experiences like that with existing clients who are saying, hey, what's next? Where can we go from here? How do we continue to level up? And I think for the firms who are truly leading, they ask that question every six months. How do we level up? How do we even take the client experience to the next level? How can we do more? In some firms also, they get to the point of scale, they get to the point of maturity where they're not looking to bring in more clients. That's okay too. If you're in more of that steady state, how do you optimize on that? So not everyone's optimizing on the same thing, but we built a sufficiently flexible product and corresponding services model, and we have the right set of partners that 
know, by having us ask the right questions of what you're trying to optimize on, we can work with you to bring about the right results. So one final question, although I'm, I know you have a million other very pressing things to do, so I won't take up any more of your time, although I could go on forever because this is fascinating. But one last question, what keeps you up at night? What are some of the emerging threats relative to the industry that you worry about? Before you ask the second part of the question, I have a 15-month-old son and an almost four-year-old daughter. So That's what keeps you up at night. <laughs> My little guy is not a great sleeper, but Adapar is in a really amazing position where we've built something truly unique, really, really valuable for our clients. And we're in a moment in this industry where the entire industry is transforming. And so that said, we're still 300-plus person company and we're about 10 years old. And so one of the things that I spend time on each and every day is making sure that we're making the right bets as a company. We're not making too many bets because we don't want to overcommit ourselves, but the things we do commit to, we want to be truly exceptional at. That's easier said than done though, because we have just an unbelievable amount of inbound interests from such a wide variety of types of firms, of corners of financial services from around the globe that want to really work with us in really strategic ways. And we have to be very measured about the bets we want to make and how exactly we make those bets. So it might not be the answer that you were expecting, but you know we're very long optionality and we can't kind of take all the options at the same time. We have to be very selective about the things that we choose to take on. That was a great answer. Eric, thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom with all of us. And we look forward to hearing more about Adapar in the future. Thank you so much for having me and really excited to keep the conversation going. Eric said it best, the efficiency that technology brings to the table not only improves the client experience, but allows a firm to continually evolve that experience and deliver on their value proposition authentically. In our next episode, I'll be speaking with the CEO of Hightower Advisors, Bob Oros. Bob brings a great deal of experience and expertise to the firm, having previously held top positions at HD Vest, Fidelity, Schwab, and LPL. Hightower itself has evolved over the years, having pioneered the quasi-independent model back in 2008 to a more recent shift toward RIA firm acquisitions. We'll talk more about Hightower's plans, Bob's thoughts on how the industry itself is changing, and much more. So please be sure to join us. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank Advisor Hub for sharing this podcast with their readers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.